And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Casey Crawford, CEO of Movement Mortgage. I felt like God just hit me with a left hook. I said, oh, oh, you're so different. You're talking about starting this mortgage company to give me glory. This is all about your kingdom, not mine. Whoa, hang on, like, I, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've always tithed, I've always tithed plus some. This isn't about that, it's, yeah. Your heart is more wrapped up in money and power and wealth than his is, but you're just sitting in judgment of him. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, and I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of the Bottom Line Faith program. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the program today. If you're a regular subscriber, welcome back. We're in Indian land, South Carolina. That's just right across the border from Charlotte at the headquarters for Movement Mortgage. And I've got to read just a little bit about our very, very special guest today. And I know he's going to be embarrassed. So since you can't see him, he's probably going to turn really red. But we're talking with CEO of Movement Mortgage, Casey Crawford. And, and listen to this just a little bit of the intro that I'd like to share with you about Casey. It says, just a glance at his resume, and you may think that he and his greatness lies in achievements, because he is an NFL Super Bowl champion with the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a very wonderful career in the NFL. He's also the founder and CEO of a multi-billion dollar mortgage company, Movement Mortgage, and where we're setting in their headquarters today. And he is absolutely a highly sought after media guest with appearances on CNBC Squawk Box, Bloomberg, Fox News, and with print articles and features in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, and Time Magazine as well. Along with that, a 2015 Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner. As great as all that sounds, what truly drives our guest today, Casey Crawford, is a man who is called by God in meeting others' needs. Casey, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thanks so much for having me, Ray. It's a real uh, privilege and pleasure. Well, listen, we've got a lot to talk about. Do you remember the movie? Well, you're, you're pretty young. You know, you're, you're, I don't know, Trami. We're, we're pretty big movie fans yeah, in our okay. house. Okay, yeah. so, so there, there used to be a show, uh, a movie called Smokey and the Bandit. And, Smokey and, and, and the there's Bandit, a line yeah. in the song in Smokey and the Bandit that says, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And so we've got a lot of questions today, but just a little bit of time. So let's, let's jump right into it. Let, let's talk a little bit about your early years. I, I read, as I was reading and, and learning about you, you had an amazing family and, and mm -hmm. one person particularly that you highlight as really influencing you. Let's talk about that person. Yeah, I think we're maybe you're referring to my dad. I've talked a lot about my father. I, I, I was blessed with an amazing father. And so, so the tough thing is, I feel like sometimes in that, I shortchanged my mom. I had an incredible mom also, all yeah. right? My mom is the bomb. And my mom is still my biggest cheerleader, biggest encourager. Um, I mean, she was an absolute leader in her own right, ran her own small business that I watched her um, put together and, 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 you know, help provide for our family alongside my father. Uh, my mom is a you know, lifelong believer as well. But, yeah, I've talked a bunch about the role that my father played in my life. And I think, you know, for, for, for many young boys, man, if you're blessed with a, with a strong, believing father, man, that, that, that just is, is such a blessing that you don't even appreciate maybe until later in life. And so my dad, uh, I, I, I kind of joke, you know, preached uh, <laughs> the greatest sermon I ever heard um, in actions every single day in the way he loved and served my whole family. My dad was up at... You know, five o'clock every morning, he worked six days a week. He ran a little True Value hardware store in the inner city in D.C. Um, you know, he never had more than a, a few employees, just kind of a handful of them. Uh, and I just watched him day after day after day faithfully serve my family, lead us spiritually, and then also the way he provided for us. And, you know, my dad worked long and hard hours. He, was, he wasn't home to most nights at 7, 30, 8 o'clock. And again, he worked on Saturdays. 
Um, he wasn't at every single game I had, but I never, ever doubted my father's love for me. And I just think for, for so many um, young children, you know, we, we kind of picture our Heavenly Father's love for us and the way we've been loved and cared for by our earthly fathers. Man, and for me, my, my, my earthly father just had a really beautiful picture of what it looks like to love and serve your, uh, your wife and children that I'm trying to imperfectly kind of replicate today with my own kids. But, but he was, a, um, again, an incredible uh, role model for me to, to, you know, to this day. Yeah, and we're going to talk in just a few moments about particular passion here at Movement Mortgage and that servant leadership and loving yeah. people well. We're going to talk about the mission statement, but I, I'm not quite ready to leave All the right. conversation about dad <laughs> because in preparing for the interview, I read a story that occurred in your father's store. I believe there was a man named Earl, Earl. who really yeah. <laughs> demonstrated servant leadership. Would you talk about that? Yeah, so, um, so Early Bird. Was his, was his full name. Um, it was actually his Earl E. Bird. And, uh, and Earl came to my father one day and um, came and said, I'm going to have to quit. And Earl, I mean, this guy's an incredibly hardworking guy, incredibly humble guy. Um, you know, lived in the neighborhood, and a real strong believer. And my father said, you have to quit, Earl. You know, what, what, what's going on? Earl really wouldn't expand upon it. He said, I just, I, I need to leave. I prayed about church last night. I need to leave. That's, you know, okay. And so, so Earl quit on the spot. Not two weeks notice, like handed over, you know, the the uh, broom and left. And um, my dad was really just kind of perplexed and was going, man, you know, he didn't have like an HR department to go hire a new, you know, a new staff. So he kind of wondered, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to replace Earl? And um, about two o'clock that afternoon, a man came walking through the door. He said, hey, my name's Lonzo. I understand there might be a position open here at the store. My dad looked. I understand there's a position open here at the store. How, how would you know that, Lonzo? He goes, well, last night at church, one of my, one of my, Church members, a guy named Earl, told me there was a position open up at the store tomorrow because we were praying that he knew that I needed a job. And Earl, in prayer at the church the night before, had been made aware that one of his brothers in Christ was in need of a job. And Earl took it upon himself to create that job. He gave out of, man, his own need. He gave up like, all that he had to give an opportunity to his brother in Christ. And Man, my dad ended up hiring Lonzo, you know, got in touch with Earl, hired Earl back. He said, so guys, we can't lose guys like this with this kind of heart and character. But I remember my dad sharing that story with me as a young boy. And again, I, I, you know, I wasn't aware of all the theological kind of implications of that and what that looked like. But we were just really blessed to see example after example after example like that um, of people really living out, I think, you know, Jesus' command and instruction to us to love one another. You know, man, and man, some, some guys did that sacrificially and did it really well. I think set a really high bar for me. I don't know that I've ever given that sacrificially of myself to, to my brother in Christ or in need. It's a phenomenal story, and I, I was just really encouraged. And I thought it would just be a, a perfect illustration of what we're going to talk about today on the program, and that is really about the company and the culture and, and so forth. And, I, and I'm sure that with your background in athletics and obviously professional career, a lot of folks would want to talk to you about that part of your life. But mm. here at Bottom Line Faith, we want to talk to you about life today. Yeah. We want to talk to you about business. So um, some might have called you crazy. In 2008, starting a mortgage company. My wife was one of those. By one of, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should be interviewing her next, right? And, um, but tell us a little bit about what led to starting the company and even the timing of that. And then we'll yeah. get into what the business is all about here. Yeah. So I, I think growing up, grew up in the church, grew up, again, man, it was a, in a family that, that you know, um, loved Jesus and kind of, kind of helped instruct me in my faith as I, as I grew up. And I think my perspective as I was growing up, where there were like a few classes of Christians, right? And if, man, if you really, really love Jesus, like if you're all in, 
you're a missionary. Yeah. Like that was kind of like top of the stack, right? I mean, you're first round draft. Star, pick. Yes, five star recruit, top first round <laughs> draft pick, man. You love Jesus, you're going to miss. If if you weren't like like you know, if you really love Jesus, but you weren't quite as committed, maybe maybe you're you're a pastor, right? And and, like, and that's hey man, that that's just kind of like slightly below commit to Jesus from missionary or pastor. And then like there was this whole like other kind of group of folks that, that I knew that, man, they love Jesus and things, but they weren't going to like really go all in for them. So they were going to be business people that went to church on Sunday. You know, and that was kind of like maybe my family and a lot of other families that I kind of knew. And so I kind of, it kind of, you know, teared down that way in my mind. And then, then somewhere there were like athletes that profess faith in Christ, like after games. And I was like, well, I think that feels like me, right? Cause I'm kind of gifted athletically. I don't want to go do this. What I didn't see and understand much was that you could really be sold out following Jesus. And that could lead you to somewhere other than full-time ministry. Uh, and I think while I may have even intellectually um, articulated that that wasn't necessarily the case after college, still in the back of my mind, I think that was a little bit of a, um, a bias that I had. And in 2007, I was part of a, a little church that was um, going through tough times economically, okay. you know, as, as so many were right there. The economy's hit hard. We're, we're our giving is down. And I was an elder, which is there's probably a lesson in there that at 29, you should not be an elder. Like you're not old enough to be an elder. Um, <laughs> but I was an elder on this church and we were looking at the budget. We go, my goodness, man, we're not going to be able to meet our financial obligations to all of our employees and our rent and everything. We need to reduce overhead. And I had a conversation with the pastor and it, man, it got really, really heated and it was really tough because I was suggesting that he take a pay cut. And the kind of question I asked was how much do you really need to live on? What do you really need to live on? And man, it was an insensitive question at the time because you know, I didn't have children of my own at the time. He, was, he had a lot of obligations that, that I didn't have and didn't appreciate and understand. I'm, I'm sure I did not couch the question very thoughtfully. But, but the answer struck me um, when they came back and basically said, hey, um, I, I have a degree and I need to make this much money. And I was really struck. I said, hey, man, haven't you gone into this calling, this profession because you want to serve God? Because you want to see the kingdom extended? Not because of how much money you want to make, but because you know, you're really following Jesus and want to see his kingdom come. And that should be your highest kind of true north, you know? And I was, I was just all upset about him, this, mm -hmm. this whole thing. I was meditating on the next day as I prayed about starting a new kind of company. And I had done like what you know, I think you're supposed to do as a good Christian. Ask all your, your 10 buddies to pray and fast with you and kind of, you know, God to sprinkle some blessing over whatever decision you're making. And I was going, I want to start this bank, God. I want to start this, this new bank, this new endeavor. And as I was driving out there, I could not stop meditating on this conversation from the night before. And I had just all this judgment for this pastor and his, his, his gravitation towards how much money he was going to make and not having glorifying Christ as his kind of true north. And about halfway to my destination where I was going to go climb a mountain and pray, I felt like God just hit me with a left hook. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, you're so different. Oh, oh, you're so different. You know, you're talking about starting this, 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 this bank, this mortgage company to give me glory. This is all about your kingdom, not mine. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, like, I, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've always tithed. I've always tithed plus some, right? I've always done, like, you know, over and above and you know, this, this isn't about that. I said, yeah, you, you, your heart is more wrapped up in money and power and wealth than his is, but you're just sitting in judgment of him. I said, well, <laughs> I, I am called to the marketplace, okay? He is called to the pulpit. Those are different, all right? There's a different calling on our life, right? I'm a marketplace. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm taking risk, and risk you get rewarded financially, and da, da, da. I'm having this good, this argument with God, right? It's always a good— Who won good, that yeah, argument, yeah, yeah. Casey? Yeah. <laughs> I've learned very little. I still do it sometimes. So, so I have this argument, right? I'm going like, oh, no, Lord. Like, I'm trying to make all these reasons why it's different for me. And he said, man, I've called you just as surely as I've called him. I've called you to see my kingdom extended in the marketplace, him to lead from the pulpit. Why are you trying to hold him to a standard you would never hold yourself to? 
And I, I mean, I would love to say that like, that was just like, I, I heard that and I was like, ah, this great revelation. I was just thrilled with that calling. I was not, I was totally ticked off by that. I was like, this is because I'm in business. I want to make money. And I felt like God really pressed my heart. Like, no, no, no. This business needs to take care of you and your family. Just the same standard you told him to hold himself to. How much do you need to take care of you and your family, right? But the fruits of it, the, the profit of it needs to go to extend my kingdom and not yours. It needs to build my kingdom, not yours. And I can tell you that was a um, not an exciting proposition to me yeah. in that moment at yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, because I was very much wrapped around and excited about building my kingdom and giving God kind of a 10% tip. That's what my life had kind of looked like up until that point. I mean, I think on the outside, you would have said, man, you're, you're certainly Christian and following Jesus and all these kinds of things. Um, but, but God knew what was kind of, the, the money had kind of begun to wrap itself around my heart. And man, there was, there was some surgery there that needed to be done. It began to kind of rip some of that off. And he still works on me on that issue and topic today. And, you know, kind of through a long series of, of, of prayer and confirmation, it's probably too much to get into. <clears throat> I kind of had a lot of that vision and calling confirmed. Uh, for me in my life that was indeed supposed to start this bank and that it was indeed supposed to be about God and his kingdom not me and mine and seeing yeah. Christ glorified in the marketplace and at that time right our country is in the largest financial crisis since the great um, depression great recession and really the epicenter of that financial crisis um, was centered around the mortgage industry and the mortgage market and we not only brought down our nation's economy we brought down the world economy because of a lot of corruption greed and um lack of integrity that was so pervasive in this space. And, and Americans had fundamentally lost hope and trust in financial services um, as a whole. As a, and so the picture I started to have, God going, man, what would it look like? What would it look like if we started a financial services company that really loved our customers? And, and I had a Catholic priest in high school define love for me like this, said to love is to act in the long-term best interest of another. To love is to act in the long-term best interest of another. So, man, if we really gave people loans that were going to be accretive to their family owning a home, not going to not gonna stress them out, put them in debt where they have a foreclosure, but actually help them realize the American dream of home ownership that we know leads to greater wealth building and leads yeah. to greater family stability, you know, but never do that inappropriately. What if you, you create a place, man, where, where at work, in the work environment, actually people were coming, getting drawn closer to Christ, that they were really being loved, they were, that we were going to act in their long-term best interest by helping them be physically fit, emotionally fit, spiritually developed, and be a part of something with a purpose beyond simply making a profit. And I started to get excited about that. I said, finally, you know, what would it be like if, if you've done those things, you provide great value to your customers, man, to your teammates, and then as you have a profit, that profit is then sewn back into the communities you're a part of, such that you know, the communities see you loving the marginalized, loving those that can't help you maybe even economically right, in your right, business. Right, they, can't, right. they, they might not even be able to afford to buy homes, but you're doing that because you want to be a good corporate citizen. You want to love the communities you're a part of, um, wouldn't that be glorifying? The Christ is like, yeah, that would be. That would be. And that's the kind of company I would love to invest my life in. You know, I, I, I think each one of us, our lives are so, so precious. And, and man, we're called to invest them. You know, and, and the, the, we want to create a place where, um, where, where folks are, are proud and excited to invest their life because they see the eternal kingdom work that's being done and the fruit that's being born out of the, uh, the investment they're making. And so with that vision, with that enthusiasm, we, we set out with, uh, in 2008 and said, man, um, we want to start a new kind of financial service company in the United States and change the bar. We know we're not going to serve every family. What we think we can do is change what excellence looks like yeah. in the entire marketplace. And my partner and I started the company. We had four employees. And over the last 10 years, we've grown to about 4,000 um, employees. We're doing one out of every 70 home purchases now in the U.S., 
um, about 600 offices. And man, we have just seen God move in incredible ways in the last decade. And it has been exceedingly much more than we could have hoped or imagined at that time, you know, kind of according yeah. to his purposes yeah. as we've walked down this. And so road. do you feel now all these years into this, now roughly 10 years into this journey now, do you truly feel that you're in your calling? Do you truly feel that you are doing what, that, that conversation that you had with God yeah. right in the car? Yeah. Do you feel that you're in that space? Oh, yeah. I feel we're squarely in that space. I feel like it's way messier and way more difficult than I thought it would be. Yeah. You know, I had this. Because you're dealing with people. You did, yeah, and, and I am one of them, yeah, right? Like, right. we're dealing with a bunch of sinners and me being chief among them. <laughs> and it's more difficult. Like, yeah. you know, that, that, that vision, the picture is like crystal clear and go, oh, wow, that'd be amazing. I love that picture. And a lot of people have asked, man, did you ever think it would grow this quickly or go this quickly? And I, would, I, I say, I mean, honestly and ignorantly, um, I also thought it would be quicker and easier um, than it's been to, to kind of grow because I was so enthusiastic about the vision I had from God and yeah. thought it would be so engaging. And I think, yeah, the tough thing, yeah, has been all the micro decisions yeah. um, as you process through, I man, what does it really look like to glorify Christ, to love people in this particular situation yeah. and in this way? Because th there are lots of just tough tensions you know, that come up every day. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things that I've learned about more, uh, movement mortgages, uh, this word keeps coming up, disruptor. Mm. Uh, you, you know, there's a lot of things that you have done, your company has done to disrupt an age-old industry, as you yeah. said, that really helped to contribute to great uh, <laughs> displeasure and, and pain yeah. around the world. But if I could read the company mission statement, I'd yeah. like you to just comment on this, because I think this is a disruptive mm. type of mission. It says that we exist to love and value people by leading a movement of change in our industry, corporate cultures, and communities. It says nothing about what you do. Yeah. Comment on the mission statement. Um, yeah, the mission statement is our is our why, right? And like what and how, um, yeah, yeah. kind of like what we do. We, we we provide mortgages. We help people acquire homes, and how we do that is kind of our you know secret sauce of our process and things. Um, but you know, again, if I'm thinking about what I want my kids to to invest their life in, you know, a, a purpose worthy of investing their life in, it can't be just hey, you know, we exist to make a 10% profit on assets and be good. Sir. Uh, you know, that, that to me wasn't extended kingdom. So we just kind of went to Matthew 22, right? And I, I kind of joked as an ex-football player, I appreciate the cliff note version sometimes that Jesus gives us of, of the entire word. Where, you know, he kind of sums it up and says, hey, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do these things, two things you do well. And we went, man, to be a part of this community, you certainly do not need to profess Jesus as Lord. We have lots of folks in our right. company from from all kinds of faith backgrounds, man. And we, we are, we're honored by that. We love that. We want them to feel honored and loved as a part of this place. But an imperative is that you must commit to acting in the long-term best interest of another. Every, that is an imperative to be a part of this community. If you are not willing to commit to loving and valuing people, to acting in their long-term best interest, uh, we say you shouldn't be a part of this community, period. That, that's why that's our purpose statement. That's our collective community commitment purpose statement to loving people. I think when you do that, a lot of really good decisions line up. So one of the things we're known for is giving people a full credit decision, underwriting them before they ever start shopping for a house. And we do that because we believe that you should know how much you can afford before you start shopping. These, oh, kind of, these, these simple concepts, right? <laughs> uh, people said we were crazy at the time. You can't do that. That's too much resource. You, you're, you're wasting your underwriters. And we go, no, but fundamentally, if my little sister was going to go buy a home, first thing I'd have her do, give me all your documents. Give me a, let me have our credit decision maker look at all this and give you an idea of how much you should buy. Not how much you want to buy, how much you should buy. And so I said, if I was going to do that for my little sister, what, why wouldn't I do it for yours and yours and your brother and, and, and anyone? I said, because we want to love and value people. So we want to act in their long-term best interest. 
Uh, and so we started doing that. That has now become 10 years later. Everyone is saying all of a sudden going, you know what? So really, I think we should underwrite people before they start shopping for a house. Um, and I take no credit for that. That was my partner who came up with those good ideas. But it was simple, I think, true north yeah, like that yeah. informs so many business processes. And people, I think, neglect to see that a lot of times. If you really just think about what is the best thing to do for your customers and your teammates, man, it helps make a lot of decisions pretty straightforward and easy. Yeah. And so here, here we are now 10 years into the journey, uh, 4,000 employees, would you say 600 locations? Yeah, or, around, like you know, yeah. and just So as the Bible says that the man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. So if you wouldn't mind for just a moment, Casey, I'd like to just maybe peel away the veil for a moment. And let's talk about the hard part of the last 10 years. Mm. You, you said, you know, you thought it might have gone faster and easier despite all the success. But what's been the hardest darkest moment for you as in this journey? Uh, what would be a surprise for people to learn about leadership in your capacity? I mean, I, I want to help people understand that this hasn't just been an easy pathway. Yeah. What's been the hard part of the journey for you? Yeah. So I think, I think some of the most difficult part for me has been when um, people that you think are with you and committed with you on the journey leave you. And I've heard a lot of pastors talk about this, you know, like yeah. they, they lose congregants or something, yeah. and how, how emotionally difficult that is for a pastor because, you know, we're all insecure, fragile humans, and we all start to, you know, it reflects on us. And, man, maybe maybe I'm not worthy of love. Maybe I'm not a good leader. Maybe I'm not. And, and Satan, I think, speaks those little doubts into you. And I think o over time, um, as folks that they'll look at me, man, I'd never leave this community. Oh, my goodness, this community's changed my life. My marriage this. And then, you know, the better job offer comes. And, and and, and, and not that, man, people are wrong for taking those, but, but sometimes you see people make disappointing decisions. Yes. And, and sometimes they make good decisions, and God calls people out of the community, man, and we try to celebrate the heck out of that. But being really honest, I think that the, the most emotionally difficult thing for me is watching folks leave the community sometimes that I didn't want to leave, and I didn't think they were maybe leaving for the right reasons. And um, I was actually, man, gosh, it was it was this year. I was, I was <laughs> I'd had a really rough day and had a few, a few of those kind of conversations, and, and a lot of folks were, were upset. And again, from the outside, I think people looking at, man, the company, it's just so many good things going on. I mean, praise God, there really are. But, but to your point, I mean, in any given moment, it gets tough. And I was actually laying in my closet just crying because um, I felt like the worst leader. I felt like I'd let everybody down. And, that, and that, that my perception yeah. was the four people I talked to represented the 4,000 people that were working. Yeah. I was like, everybody's mad. Everybody's uh, unhappy here. I've ruined a lot of lives. People are leaving like crazy. No one wants to be a part of this thing. And um, I was just kind of going like, why, Lord, why? Like, what am I doing wrong? And man, God really ministered to me in that moment of pain. And I felt like he, he took me kind of to, to, to Christ. And he said, man, my son, like God incarnate, what kind of leader do you think Jesus was? I was like, he's probably pretty solid. I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty good. You're fully God, fully man. You probably, probably so yeah, what kind of friend do you think he was? I was like, oh, gosh, man, who wouldn't want to be Jesus's friend? Like that, like, he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, was he living? you know, perfectly, like, was he in, in sin himself? Like, no, he wasn't in sin at all. He's like, yeah, and what happened to him? One of his best friends, right, sells him, sells him. Doesn't even leave him, sells him. Then his really good friends leave him, deny they ever knew him. He's like, who, who do you think you were? Mm. You're not the son of God. And by the way, you are Peter, right? Yeah, you are Judas. <laughs> like, you're that, you're that guy with that problem. Wow. And, man, that, that just, I think, helped me a lot, you know, just, just you know, hey, man, um, the son of man experienced this um, even more dramatically than yeah. I am. And yeah. he certainly, goodness gracious, you know, he's a leader I'd never even get close to being. Um, and so, 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 you know, who, who did I think I was not to, to kind of walk through something 
like that. Um, but that, that's, I think, a, a real a reality for a lot of leaders that you know, people on the outside yeah. see everything going so well and assume, yeah. oh, man, they, you can't have any insecurities or anything. And you're like, goodness gracious, no. And it's, it can be emotionally tough. I really appreciate the transparency of you sharing that story and literally even like being in your closet in tears. You know, I'm reminded in John chapter six, you know, Jesus had been through the height of his public ministry, had been performing his miracles, walking on water, feeding the thousands. And then the, there's a, a shift because he starts talking about there's difficult times ahead. Mm, I mean, it's like yeah. everybody starts saying, well, are you crazy? Yeah. Now it's going to get hard to follow yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and we actually see a mass exodus of yeah. people following Jesus, right? And he asked his closest inner circle, are you going to leave me too? Mm -hmm. So I think that in that moment in your closet yeah. with the Lord, you could identify with the suffering of Christ in a, in a great way. Yeah, That's yeah. what I heard in that, in that, in that story. Yeah, no, that's well put. And Casey... Um, Let's talk a little bit then about the um, the future. Mm. You know, uh, what do you see left undone? What do you see that God has for you in the business for? Like, mm. cast the vision of where do you see the Lord? What's been revealed to you or what he believes has been revealed to you about the future? Well, okay, so again, man, our, our North Star to act in the long-term best interest of another, right? To love and value people. Um, as we look around the United States in our particular sector with, with the sector God's called us to, housing and education, in the housing market right now, particularly, we have seen the cost to obtain a mortgage go from about $3,000 to $8,000. That's a hidden cost to, to Americans. Is this due to regulation? regulation? Yes, okay. due to okay. regulation. All right, all right. I was meeting on it this morning, actually. And we think fundamentally, you know, there, there's a huge income disparity um, in the United States. It's growing, an income gap. And today, still, the number one indicator of a family's financial success is whether or not they own their home. One of the biggest income disparities is between whites and blacks. And the, the large disparity between whites that own their home and blacks that do not is one of the major causes of um, that, that, that economic chasm that is, that is just creeping deeper and deeper in the United States. We have a real fundamental belief that we want to help Americans realize the dream of home ownership. And, and that we know that when Americans own their home, crime rates in neighborhoods go down, graduation rates in the schools go up, um, Americans are more financially stable, and families stay together at a higher rate. So we, we want to take that cost to obtain a mortgage down from 8000 not back to 4000 where it was in 2010. We want to see technology do what it's done across so many other parts of our society, where it's made things faster and more affordable, faster and more affordable, faster and more affordable. And we want to take that cost down to about $800. And so we think if we can put $7,200 back in Americans' pockets to act as down payments, not so they do 100% financing, but so they can actually have equity in the homes they're purchasing, That'll be meaningful wow. uh, uh, you know, in the way we think about transforming families and the way we think about transforming wealth and the way we think about addressing this massive wealth gap that is um, just growing in our nation. That's, that's what we see kind of as a unique and particular calling within our industry. And to do it in a way where, where again, we're not just refinancing families, helping them use their house like a, a piggy bank. We don't believe in that. We want to do it in helping them purchase a home for the first time and, and you know, have, their, have their children grow up in a stable environment. That is so exciting. I, I had no idea. Yeah. I, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners had no idea either. So no, it's, it's, We're actually talking to a lot of our reg regulators yeah. and, and, and uh, politicians about this because it's no one talks about it, right? And, and actually, I, I tell them, I said, man, what we're telling you is actually creates competition for us because mortgage banks and banks are making just as much money as they ever had in the mortgage industry. And essentially, all this regulation has slammed the door shut to new entrants. America needs new entrants, and we need to actually have a, a more competitive environment that brings down the cost to buy a home, not pushes it up. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, we're getting near the end of our time together. So I, I just would like to shift just for two or three questions here. I'd, sure. like, I'd like you to now become Casey the advisor, okay? Uh -huh. And I'm going to have three specific 
pieces of uh, three questions around advice. Okay. First of all, I would like you to advise the 20-year-old Casey. I would like you to sit across the table from yourself as you look back now. What advice would you have for the 20-year-old you? Mm. So I've always been an extremely goals-oriented person. I'm always um, thinking about the destination. And I think what I would encourage myself to do for the last two decades, I'd really encourage myself to spend more time enjoying the journey. You know, enjoying the journey. Really, really, no, man, it's not a destination that God's got you on a journey. It's a process. And the man fellowship with him and my wife and my children along that journey, in that there's true joy. You know, there's really true joy. There's peace. Um, when, when you're focused only on where you're going all the time, man, there's a lot of striving, a lot of stress, yeah. um, consternation, worry, am I going to get there or not? You know, is it going to happen or not? Am I going to screw this up or not? Then when you're present in the moment, just enjoying your relationship with Christ, man, the, the peace that he offers us, and then, you know, relationship with my wife and children, I mean, that's where I've just found the, the, the greatest blessing. And I, and I wish I'd spent a little more time in that place at 20. I hope I'm spending more time there today because at 20, man, I was just laser focused on where I was going, not yeah. really enjoying where I was. So I, I love that because it really is talking about living in the moment, you know, and I think when, oftentimes when we live in the past, we we discover and talk and think about our regrets and what yeah. we should have done differently. When we live in the future, we're filled with worry and doubt and fear, <laughs> and it's only in the moment. And I, I think it's interesting when we, we read about Moses, right, when he was talking to the Lord, and the Lord's sending him back to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, who should I say sent me, right? God didn't say, tell them I was. Uh, God didn't say, tell them I will be. What did yeah. he say? Tell them I am. And I think God yeah. wants us to be in the moment, and so I love that. So that'd be the best advice you'd give to the twenty-year-old you, right? Uh, you know, that'd be a piece anyway. Yeah, <laughs> one, one of many, maybe. Right. Yeah. So the ne- the next uh, advice question is: I would like you to just take a moment and encourage someone who's listening to this program right now. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they're a yeah. leader. They're really maybe they're they, they've got a big dream. They've mm-hmm. got a big vision, like what you were sharing with us earlier. Or maybe maybe they're kind of stuck and they can't figure out that next step. I don't know what their situation would be, but right now they know we're talking to them, okay? What advice or encouragement would you have to that person right now? Yeah, so I I would give them the encouragement, man, and I I felt like God was pressing this on me yesterday. The first Bible verse my daughter ever learned was Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. You know, and, and man, I would just say, if you are feeling called by God to do something, man, step out in joy and faith and chase after him, follow him. Do not be afraid. I, I, the number one thing I still deal with as a leader is Satan, whispering in my ear, don't do that. People will think you're silly. Oh, don't do that. That'll look crazy. It'll fail. You're going to be made fun of it. You know, this whole thing will blow up and you'll be found out as a fraud for, for not really knowing what you're doing. And man, Satan in so many ways tells us, man, that the worst thing you can do for your business is try to glorify Christ in it. You know, oh, everyone will run away. Nobody will want to work with, oh, it's okay. It works in the South. You got the Billy Graham Parkway. You can't do that in California, <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, Satan takes a Southern voice with me at times. It's interesting. <laughs> no, truly, I think he whispers so many words of fear into my ears and so many ears of, of so many folks, whether it be about money or success or, or being foolish in the eyes of the world. And I would just say, man, be strong and courageous and follow God where you feel like he is leading you, man. Seek him, seek him, seek him, and then follow. Step out in faith and say yes when he calls. Um, And do it boldly and do it joyfully, right? Uh, And that's why I'm I'm trying to live more into that each and every day. That's fantastic. I'm going to slip in a bonus question if you don't mind, and then I got one more. We'll be done. This one may may be a looper, okay? If you were (laughs) Ray Hilbert interviewing Casey— right now, what question would you ask you that I haven't asked you? <laughs> All right. So uh, 
I, I had a guy ask me this. He said, what do you think the biggest issue in the church is right now with men? Uh, and this was, this is a uh, movement day. This, 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 it wasn't named, it's Tim Keller's done it. Not, it's not our deal, but it was a gathering of the whole body of uh, believers in our city. And I kind of looked at him, what, what's the number one issue? He goes, I think, I think the number one issue is pornography. Number one issue for, for men in the church, pornography. And I said, okay. Um, I said, man, I don't. He goes, really? I said, no. Hey, number one issue is that money has our hearts. I think it's the same issue that was going on when Jesus was around. Because, you know, the iPhone has definitely changed some things. It's let us look at our money more also. That I think men are still men. People are still people. And that, that money is still the number one idol that competes with our hearts for God. I, I would, man, I think God had ripped some stuff out of my heart. He continues to work on today. I think the, the number one thing I see that's not talked about in the church is how what an idol money is in the lives, particularly of Christian business leaders. The number of guys that I see that give even tithing of good Christian business leaders is, is minuscule. Folks that give over and above that, man, it's almost non-existent. And it is, I can talk about it in almost any men's small group about a covenant with my eyes. If I looked at you and said, hey, Ray, how much did you make last year? It gets really uncomfortable. Like really, like, oh, that's, that's private. That's, that's really private. We can talk about the weirdest stuff, but I'll ask you about how much money you make and how much money you give. That gets real private all of a sudden. I go, why is that? I think it's because Satan likes to keep it in this dark place where no one else knows, where we don't have accountability and fellowship with brothers around this, where we're not held accountable. And he knows it's a place he can own us, a place he can win because, man, that's private. Uh, again, pornography or any kind of sexual addiction is no longer really private. That's totally every small group I'm in. That's what guys start asking each other about. No one will talk about how they are giving and where, what kind of place money sits in their life. And, and that's why I have in my life, I have three guys that look at every dollar I spend. They look at every dollar I have in my bank account and like say, hold me accountable to am I living consistently with the calling I feel like God placed in my life, you know, so many years ago. Wow. And I need that, man, I need that. And they, I think, need that accountability also. And I mean, I would just encourage folks to, man, have some transparency with your money. Get, get in some groups where you're open and sharing your finances um, with some brothers and sisters in Christ that you trust and love. And man, hold each other accountable to, uh, to, to honoring your finances in a God-glorifying way. That's powerful. Thank you. That's, that's fantastic. So now I promise the last question. All right. So for our regular listeners here at Bottom Line Faith, this is the last question I've asked in every interview as long as we've done the program. And so it's you got I, some like world-class. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, man. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is called my 423 question, and it's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart for from it flows all of life. Mm. And there are many biblical scholars that believe those may have been among Solomon's last words, that mm. he may have gathered his family, his friends, his loved ones around and said, I've given you all this great advice. Now, let me tell you the one thing, the one thing to remember above all else. So Casey, let's just maybe move the clock forward and it's your last days here on earth mm. before uh, this side of eternity. And you have a chance to gather your family, gather your friends, gather your loved ones, and you're gonna pass along one piece of advice. So I want you to fill in the blank for me. Above all else. <laughs> Above all else. So I, I don't have like a personal family mission statement. I haven't done some of those things. I think they're wonderful. Um, I just haven't done them myself. I, I think, you know, if I were talking to my girls, man, I would say trust Jesus and follow him with joy. You know, I think, I think that Christ came that we'd have life and life abundantly. And I don't think that means that, man, we're, we're filled with a bunch of stuff. But I think there should be a great sense of peace and joy um, that, that's in our life because we know whose we are. Man, we know that our Heavenly Father is sitting on the throne. He, he, he's not 
um, under consternation. He's weaving and working all things together for good at all times. May he love us enough to send his own precious son to die on our behalf, to reconcile us back to himself for eternity. This life is a vapor and a mist. And man, rest, rest in whose you are. And, and because of that knowledge of whose you are, man, have joy, have peace, and just have a winsome hope for the future you know, as you walk through life. I, I hate when I see sad Christians and Christians that walk around with just consternation all the time, wringing their hands. Look like they've been weaned on a dill yes, pickle, man, right? Yeah, I, I know, mean, I know things yeah. are perfect in life, man. We yeah. all are going through stuff, absolutely. And there's time to cry yeah. and, man, love each other. But, man, at the end of the day, like, we have to, 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 to be marked by a hope that the world doesn't have. Like, we have to know, man, that we have a God who's already conquered sin and death. Right, he's conquered it, and man, he's weaving and working all this together for his glory. And, and, and man, we're a part of that incredible story, and we're gonna be with him forever, eternity in heaven. Man, let's have a joy and a hope about that um, as believers. Casey Crawford, thank you for right, being the guest so on much, today's man. Bottom Line Faith program. You can learn more about Movement Mortgage at movement.com. You can learn how they have disrupted not only an industry, an age-old industry, but how they are literally changing the world with the love of Jesus Christ. And so if this is your first time uh, listening to Bottom Line Faith, we're so glad you could join us today. Why don't you check out the website at bottomlinefaith.org. Dozens and dozens of interviews like this one uh, are posted there. You can scroll down to the bottom of the page and become a regular subscriber of the program as well. Until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, here at Bottom Line Faith, encouraging you to love and serve the Lord faithfully in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 